0: stamina that you guys. Have. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I'm probably gonna start with skipping some more. Um, I don't think we'll get to part three, but I've still make the slides available to you uh, through Paneline project. Um, so you can read those on your own. Um, this is about I mean, you want to have a discussion about annotation and commentary. Um, just quickly, yeah. The components that we find in a, uh, a scholarly edition normally, um, and nothing controversial about, about this. Um, the aims of a scholarly edition, okay. This is, you know, these are the words that we tend to use, that editors nowadays tend to use. It would be factual, verifiable, informative and neutral, okay. T- very interesting discussions recently at the conference of William Lewis uh, in context of the Oxford University Press edition of William Lewis, and how are you neutral when you're talking about, say, annotating Lewis? Um, so, you know, quite a Short answer. And again, those questions, what's the purpose of a scholarly edition, and who is it for? Okay. And these have enormous implications for annotation. Now, this is a question that I've been thinking about uh, and trying to write about, We have theories of scholarly editing, okay? We have rigorous methodologies. We have numerous examples of good practice that implement those methodologies, adapt those methodologies, are creative for those methodologies. Can we have a theory of scholarly annotation? Uh, Now, my answer will be no. Um, But nonetheless, I think it's important to think... um, at least theoretically, also, about annotation. Because a lot, of this, a lot is written about annotation, um, but it's always on, on a very ad hoc basis. Um, and it results in, you know, perhaps some general guidelines. You know, there is a consensus that annotation should be um, non-interpretative. It should be concise, okay? Some people argue we don't need annotation at all. Um, Some people, like myself, like very long annotations, but we can discuss that later. But the question is, what makes a good annotation? It's easy to say what's bad about an annotation, but it's not that easy to say what's good about an annotation. It's very similar to translation in that respect. It's very easy to criticize a bad translation, but what makes a good translation? And as Catherine asked this morning, you know, do we still need annotations in the age of the World Wide Web? And my answer to that would actually be yes, we definitely do. Um, an example of what is considered a bad annotation. Uh, this is uh, from Richard Finlay's uh, edition of Yeats's The, the Poems, a poem called Wisdom. And it's all about the lines uh, around line 10. See the border. His majestic mother sat stitching at a purple hoard of that he might be nobly breached in starry towers of Babylon. And famously, line seven is which I didn't read. Probably Joseph, husband of the Virgin Mary. <laughs> line 11, the Virgin Mary, Mother of Christ. Okay. Jesus Christ. Now, I have never heard anyone defend this annotation. Um, And I would. I would defend this annotation. I think this is, okay, it's a bit concise. It's a bit too concise. But, and actually, if you compare this to a rival edition by Norman Jeffress, I think he annotates it a little better. But he also annotates it he gives a little bit more context now first of all i mean there is a general okay scrutinous is you know they want to sell their books in the u.s you know for american undergraduates Um, they want to sell this in china in india africa all over the world okay and i think it is a valid point that not everyone will know that line 11. His majestic mother sat, and that actually refers to the Virgin Mary. Um, I think it is justifiable. But Fiddling's annotation falls short, I think, in one respect, in contextualising this further. Okay? And that, for one, is the difference between providing an annotation like this which perhaps we don't need in the age of the internet, because we can, you know, we can Google. I'm not sure if you Google majestic mother that you will get the Virgin Mary, but you might, you know, you might pick up enough to be able to find out more about the Virgin Mary if you don't really know. But the fact is that this is, you know, it starts actually, you know, this this is, this is, this is church art. And probably Yeats had a particular church and a particular um, painted window, stained glass window, and a particular statue in mind. Okay, and that contains, and now it might contain, will contain a scene of the. Uh, nativity I'm not sure if that's uh, I should have checked this actually I'm not sure exactly what I not remember exactly what he's referring to. But you can easily see that there's a specific instance lying underneath this column. Second is that in typical Yeats' fashion, this is couched <laughs> in his symbolic kind of slash magical esoteric language. Um, and that is a language that perhaps we do need annotation for. It's also a language that is or an imagery and a, and a use of reference and illusion that is very difficult to research yourself because if you type anything from a Yeats poem that relates to esoteric law, you end up with um, a lot of you know neo-form, neo in that sense. The, uh, there's a lot of activity in terms of esoteric thinking, um, but it's not always accurate. On top of that, Yeats' own sources were often fairly obscure. So it's not just about finding the information for an annotation, it's actually finding the knowledge that Yeats had access to. And yes, you can do that in the age of the internet. Actually, the internet has made it easier to do that kind of research Because you don't need to go anymore to the British Library, National Library of Ireland, perhaps to New York Public Library. You don't have to do the travelling anymore. But it's that critical um, exercise of filtering out...